0: Welcome to the Manhattan Institute's event cast, and thanks very much for joining us. I'm Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal, and today we'll talk about how long-term care facilities bore the brunt of the COVID-19 pandemic and what we can learn from that fact. We'll draw upon recent writings on this important issue by City Journal and Manhattan Institute experts. Uh, Let me introduce our two panelists. First, Steve Malanga. He's the senior editor of City Journal and the George M. Yeager Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Writing for City Journal, Steve has pointed to the inadequacies in American nursing homes. Even before the pandemic, as Steve notes, the US fell short of protecting the elderly in long-term care facilities from infectious diseases. Our other guest today is Chris Pope. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Chris's research focuses on healthcare market regulation Uh, hospitals, entitlement design, insurance market reform. In City Journal, Chris has highlighted successful innovative approaches to staffing during the pandemic that can be a model perhaps for other facilities, so we'll talk a bit about that. So uh, let me start with you, Steve. Uh, The pandemic has proved devastating for nursing homes nationwide. According to some estimates, as much as 40% of the overall count of people who've died in America during the pandemic uh, were nursing home residents. But as you pointed out in a City Journal piece back in in April, uh, though this, this is a horrible and tragic situation, it's also not all that surprising. So what went wrong? Well,
1: first of all, let's talk specifically about the extent of it and where it went wrong. Um, At this point, the best counts are that about 55,000 people uh, may have died in long-term care facilities out of nearly 300,000. It's almost a 20% rate, a death rate, which is really shocking, although, again, this is our most vulnerable population, probably. To talk about where it's happened, uh, New Jersey has actually led the way. The states with the most deaths in nursing homes are New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Illinois, California, Connecticut, Michigan. The states with the highest percentage of deaths in nursing homes, some smaller states, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Minnesota, uh, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. We can talk a little bit about some of those states later on. However, here's the the real shocker. In 23 states, more than half of all deaths have been in long-term care facilities. Now, the thing is, this was not completely unanticipated by some of us um, who were writing about this early for, for this reason. Early on, I wrote a piece called The Virus and the Economy, which really attempted to look at what were the health implications of shutting down the economy, because I wanted people to try to balance, uh, understand there were health implications to shutting down the economy, and I wanted them to balance that with what we, the predictions about deaths in, uh, from COVID, because that, that's a very easy number to understand. One thing that impressed me while I was doing this is that a number of uh, health es- experts, especially epidemiologists, were talking early on about those trade-offs. And they were afraid that a panic was emerging in America. Remember, this was mid-March I did this. They were afraid there was a panic that was emerging that was gonna make us miss the target. And one uh, prominent uh, researcher said something that stuck with me. He said, um, our focus needs to be on the most vulnerable. He said, nursing homes, not schools. Immediately after hearing that, I went and started looking at what the um, record was, was, if you would, um, of, an, of nursing homes in terms of infectious diseases. Now, the thing about COVID-19 is it's, it's new, it's unique, but it is basically a respiratory infectious disease. And every flu season, we have uh, similar problems with pneumonia and the flu. And I looked at the record in nursing homes, there's a lot of academic research on this, and it's pretty startling in particular, um, uh, outbreaks are very common. Um, The the notion of of states mandating protections uh, is very erratic. Only about half of states even require um, nursing home workers to get a vaccine. We have vaccines for the flu, and we're talking so much about how the vaccine is going to save us from COVID. But only about half of states require vaccines from nursing home workers, and if you look at it, that not even nowhere near 80 and 90 percent of nursing home residents themselves get vaccinated. You would think that when this in this vulnerable population, that we would um, we would be focusing on that, and that nursing homes themselves would bring in doctors and make sure this is done, or or, or nurse practitioners. Um, the other thing is there was a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of criticism of the record on nursing in nursing homes in in terms of uh, infection controls. and in some in some um, surveys, forty percent of homes uh, during flu season have essentially failed uh, their inspection protocols for uh, for infection control. So all of this was uh, was very, very troubling. Um, and um, what then occurred quickly after this, it, more than anything justified, um, uh, the concerns that we were starting to hear from some of these people, like this expert who said, you know, again, nursing homes, not schools. And and yet at the same time, and this is, we'll talk about this a little bit more later. What I was hearing from some of the governors, okay, was that essentially um, this COVID was a nobody left behind. Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey said, you know, when people brought up the idea that this was mostly a, a disease targeting disease, um, a, uh, o- older people. Even the together, we're not going to leave anybody behind. Andrew Cuomo famously said when people suggested, you know, who, what's the right focus here? He, he, you know, he he took that to mean, you know, we're we're going to leave the elderly behind. And he said, you know, famously said or infamously said, you know, my mother is not expendable. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at the history of the way we treat the seasonal flu, uh, in which every year t- thousands of people, tens of thousands of people die in this country. Uh, and the way we treat um, um, uh, the the issue in nursing homes, um, we've 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 never had an attitude we're going to leave everybody behind, and so that that was very troubling. And the numbers we're seeing, you know, really reflect that. And we're not obviously out of it yet, so we'll have to see where this goes.
0: Thanks, Steve, a lot, um, Chris. Uh, maybe you can say uh, follow up a little bit on what Steve just said about the particular vulnerability to COVID of the uh, nursing home residents, why it's so uh, in, in, such an infectious environment, apart from the, you, yeah. you know, the the problems that Steve isolated. And then I'd like you to say a little bit about uh, what what role the finances and payment system uh, at work in the nursing homes might have played a role in this crisis.
2: Yeah, well, Steve's obviously exactly right. Uh, this is not a new problem. Uh, it's something I we, we deal with every year. Uh, the idea of large amounts of elderly people dying in nursing homes from infections is certainly not a new thing. Every single year, an average of 380,000 people die of infections in nursing homes. And really, we should have seen this coming. And I think Steve's right to make the, the comparison, the, what we sacrifice for schools, what we sacrifice to keep bars open versus what we sacrifice to have nursing homes um, uh kept safe, secure, and, and doing the job that they ought to do. And we've clearly had a failure of political will, really, uh, in terms of dedicating the resources and dedicating the sacrifice to protecting nursing homes that we've been willing to make for, for other sectors of society. Um, and I, I don't think there's really much um, indication that that's going to change uh, at, at all soon. Um, the the basic thing I think you you would, you, you can say about nursing homes in, in the COVID crisis, like so much of of healthcare policy is really the old adage, you get what you paid for. Um, And when it comes to nursing homes, we really try and skimp. Nursing home home reimbursements are very, very heavily, uh, sorry, nursing home revenues are very heavily dependent on the Medicare program, sorry, Medicaid program, to an extent that no other part of the healthcare system is. So if you think of a hospital, usually about half, of hospitals revenues come from private insurance, which is generally a very generous reimbursement source, generally supports a lot of intensity of care, means that no expense is spared in terms of safety, in terms of uh, cleanliness, in terms of quality of equipment. But when it comes to uh, nursing homes, the majority, I think about 52% of nursing home revenues come from Medicaid and private insurance is probably only about 15% of nursing home revenues. And as with hospital care, Medicaid rates are very, very low. So on average, Medicaid pays about 89% the average cost of looking after someone in a nursing home, which means the nursing homes have to scramble to get revenues from Medicaid, from self-paying patients, really to stay afloat. And they tend to cut corners. Uh, they tend to cut corners on staff. They tend to cut corners on safety. We saw in a lot of cases that personal protective equipment was not was often really absent. But also, um, when you cut when you cut corners on on staffing, that really means that quite often homes are relying on sort of greater medical interventions and medicating uh, residents who may be. Or not to be medicated. If staff are overstretched, they're not really uh, taking as much care with each patient as they ought to be. And so you end up with a lot of lapses, essentially, in what should be the provision of a basic service. Um, in an environment where any kind of disease uh, can really spread very, very quickly, the, the idea that everyone uh, has a personal room really doesn't apply to, to most nursing homes. Most most rooms are shared. Um, most staff are visiting numerous rooms, one after the other. And so if you, if you look at the, if you sort of think about, um, there have been discussions of herd immunity that maybe if 60% of the population catches the disease, then it'll die off. Well, in some nursing homes, you've seen it go like over 90% of people within the nursing home have gotten have gotten the disease just because people, whether they're asymptomatic or whether they're sort of dealing with a light, uh, whether staff are dealing with light cases are going from room to room before they're really withdrawing from the nursing home. And pretty much everybody in, in, in many homes have been infected.
0: Thanks, Chris. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, Steve, uh, here in New York, uh, the estimates are that as many as 6,000 seniors have died of COVID-19 in senior care facilities. Uh, and Governor Cuomo has come under some fire uh, for, for this outcome. I'm wondering, what's your view of what happened in New York? And uh, ha- have we seen similar situations in other states?
1: Well, if you look in terms of the um, percentage of people in states dying from this, it's fairly high in many places. The controversy about New York is actually a controversy that occurred in, in in a dozen places where governors or public health officials, uh, as part of the administration, ordered essentially nursing homes to take back uh, residents who had gone into the uh, hospitals uh, and um, and then were were released. Uh, when they were were thought to be out of danger um, They were released in some cases without actually requiring that they be that they test negative for the disease This happened it happened in New Jersey it happened in Pennsylvania and different in, 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 in different degrees um, so some of the controversy is number one that um Staff in, in some of these places. First of all, the nursing home operators themselves in New York and other places vigorously objected to this—the idea of sending people back. In New Jersey, the kind of public health bureaucracy, meaning the the, full, the long-time bureaucrats, not not the actual administration—you know, director of uh, of um, public health, a commissioner of public health, who's was politically appointed—but the staff kind of revolted against this. They've even said they've even sent letters. Um, whistleblower letters, if you will, to members of the um, legislature in New Jersey complaining that they objected to this, that the governor didn't listen to them, that this was not a good thing to do, for for obvious reasons. Uh, So uh, essentially what happened was there was a panic and this is where the whole idea that the panic was driving um, uh, unwise decisions really, really comes into focus. Because in New York, they feared, and in New Jersey, that the hospitals were going to be overrun. And because they feared that, they said, we've got to get people out of hospitals as fast as we can. This, this occurred even, even when, even though there was supplemental hospital beds available, even though, for instance, in New York, they, they, they built up uh, a temporary hospital facility in Javits Center. They had the, the uh, US Navy ship come in uh, and many of those beds were never used. Yet they were pushing people because there was this panic about uh, almost a, a you know a hospital bed apocalypse, if you will. You know, and this is where the whole idea that we were kind of losing control, you know, of the circumstances in the situation, uh, really becomes evident. Now, um, it's pretty it's fair to say that th- that there would have been a problem anyway, given a couple of things. Number one. Um, uh, you know, as Chris said, you know, we were in the middle of flu season and a lot of nursing homes didn't have adequate protective gear anyway. And I know there was a shortage of protective gear once COVID hit, but many of these nursing homes didn't even have adequate protective gear. We're in the middle of pneumonia season. We're in the middle of flu season. That clearly would have been a problem. There, w- There is no vaccine, obviously, for the workers. There's no vaccine for family members who were visiting until, you know, until we realized that, the, the, the seriousness of the problem. Having said that there's still a lot of criticism of those particular states and in particular first of all just the idea of sending you know uh, sending people who s- still haven't tested negative yet for uh, for the disease back into nursing homes the most vulnerable to, you know to the mo- most vulnerable population you think how, how does anyone make that decision? Now in fairness the, I guess you can say in fairness, New York State has released its own study of what really caused the problem in nursing homes. And they have concluded, not shockingly, that it wasn't that decision by the governor and the uh, the um, uh, public health authorities. They've concluded that it was the workers. Their, their idea is that about, in some cases, they estimate that as many as almost 30% of all nursing home workers were infected. And they brought it in from the outside. Now, there are a bunch of people contesting this idea. First of all, there are people just, you know, even people in both parties in New York state saying we need an independent study of this. But the reason people are, one of the reasons is it's an unusually high number of workers in a particular industry that, that you know, got this particular, um, got these infections. And the idea is, um, yes, there is a, a history of workers bringing infectious diseases into nursing homes. But it works the other way too. When you're sending people who are infected back into the homes, you're likely to infect the workers as well as the other um, uh, the other uh, uh, member the other residents. And those workers are working on five, six, seven different residents a day, so they're essentially spreading it around. So um, it's, it's, it's so essentially the notion that. That uh, it was the workers' fault, if you will, uh, or it was an unavoidable factor, you know, has uh, gotten a lot of criticism. Also, this report controversially absolved the nursing homes. It said the nursing homes could do nothing to stop this wave. And that, that's upset a lot of people who are very critical of the past uh, experience of nursing homes um, because they've been what they, you know, their procedures have been lacking again with the seasonal flu flu with pneumonia in past flu seasons and past infectious disease seasons. And so the idea that this was just a train wreck, actually, that no one could stop, that the state couldn't stop and that the nursing homes couldn't stop or at least ameliorate, um, strikes some people as um, a little bit um, uh, uh, naive. So that's kind of where we are right now. Now, again, It's important to understand that it wasn't just New York, there were 12 states, New Jersey was another one, and New Jersey and New York lead the list of total deaths. And in particular, one of the things, again, there's some things that are upsetting about this. One of the things that I find very upsetting is that in New Jersey, they actually, when this first started, and people weren't even aware, the general public wasn't aware that the governor or the government had ordered the nursing homes to take back the workers, when these deaths started and the the state actually began a naming and shaming effort to name the nursing homes where lots of people were dying. Now, this was actually consistent with what was going on in New Jersey. If you drove around New Jersey during the pandemic, you see those, those electronic signs that are by the side of the road. They also had signs which said, don't be a knucklehead. Now, this is the governor. The governor was saying that the reason the reason that, the, that the COVID was spreading across the state because there were so many people, they weren't observing social distancing, they were being knuckleheads. This was another version of this. They're actually blaming the nursing homes. They're actually have a program of naming and shaming until it came out that the government itself had ordered people back from the, from the hospitals into the nursing homes. So that I think is, you know, has upset a lot of people. Let me just say out another thing. Not every state did this by any means. Uh, Florida was one state that did something very different. Florida has still a large percentage of its deaths are uh, in nursing homes, but the total numbers of infections and deaths in homes is, is much smaller. Now, here's the thing: Florida did a bunch of different things. They never, of course, uh, put out this this um, this ruling, this executive order to send people back into the um, uh, into the nursing homes. They actually did the opposite. What they did was rather than worrying about hospitals filling up too quickly when outbreaks began in nursing homes they took everybody in those facilities these are smaller facilities they took everybody and they sent them to hospitals to be where they could be isolated and cared for and watched much more carefully they even got a waiver from the federal government so that the people who had not yet tested negative a positive rather for the disease could still be sent to hospitals and reimbursed at the rate that that the federal government was reimbursing for COVID care, because they felt it was important to get these people in an environment where there was better care. Connecticut did something different, but in that they created COVID only um, nursing homes to isolate their patients from essentially uh, the rest of the population. It took them a while to do that, which is one of the reasons why they still saw a significant number of deaths, but they eventually did it. Now we're at the point, for instance, in Florida and a bunch of other states where they're testing nursing home workers twice a week, and they're testing residents uh, numerous times a week. And so that may account for some of what we're seeing in a, a, as this a, a, as this kind of part of the wave um, uh, 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 slows down, if you will. The momentum in these kinds of deaths starts to slow down.
0: Uh, Chris, um Speaking of Connecticut, uh, one of the things you wrote about in your piece on this is uh, a kind of innovative assistant living facility in that state um, that really avoided, at least the last we checked, uh, a, a lot of these problems. Maybe you could say a bit about that that institution and what they did and uh, whether that could be a kind of model um, going forward for, for other such institutions.
2: Yeah, of course. The... Um I think a lot of the big challenges with the nursing homes have been, we really underestimated what it took initially to keep the disease out. Like the initial advice was wash your hands, a little bit of social distancing, maybe check people's temperature on the way in. And as we know, there are lots of asymptomatic cases. Um, And so all it takes is a couple of asymptomatic staff members to go into the nursing home and all of a sudden the disease is everywhere. Staff members are potentially living with other family members that are, have jobs as essential workers, or that work in other nursing homes, or they're taking public transport into the into into the nursing home every day. And so they're like, while much of the population is sort of social distancing or s- safely at home, nursing home workers are actually exposed to the disease a lot of the time because they're circulating in the community and really. Quite often connects to other people who are in high risk situations, and our initial attempt to basically keep keep the disease out of the nursing home was pretty ineffective in, in so many cases. In New Jersey, eighty five percent of nursing homes have um, have had cases of COVID within the nursing home, and obviously, once what, once the wall is breached in a sense, then your best you can do often is just to pray that you get lucky. Um, so, what one facility in, Connecticut, in Bristol, Connecticut, tried to do—the Shady Oaks facility—is they decided that they wanted to set up a perimeter around the around the facility and almost put themselves in a bubble and say that nobody comes in, nobody comes out. All the staff would be housed within the um, it within, within the facility. Uh, they would stay there overnight, and they actually rented some trailers to be parked in the parking lot. They rented the house next door and a house some staff. And they would make sure that the, the facility for for the duration of the big wave would be cut off from the outside world so that everybody would be safe and that there would be no disease coming in and and, and out. Um, this was an assisted living facility, so it wasn't getting any money from Medicaid. It wasn't getting any money from Medicare. It was really a private pay facility. Um, but what the owner did is he, he basically put up his own money. Um, to keep the facility secure. Now, part of this actually is, you know, part of it obviously is kind of smart and, and, and sort of forward thinking. But then also part of it it also works out sort of in a in a self interested way. In a sense, that it gets very expensive if you have many many cases in your facility. And it gets very very expensive if your if your uh, residents start dying and you're you're not and you're not getting paid. You're having to potentially uh, keep Uh, sort of keep a disease out that's already within the facility, your exposure to lawsuits becomes much greater. And so securing the facility at the outset actually is in some ways a smart business move as well. Um, The difficulty for other facilities is really just the liquidity problem to a large extent. Now, nursing facilities have very, very thin uh, margins, profit margins, usually uh, over the past few years, really less than 3% on average. And so their ability to put the outlays to basically pay hazard pay for staff to stay overnight, for staff to basically not not go back to their families, is very, very limited. What the, what the Connecticut facility decided was the... You know, you have to make it worth staff's while to to be away from their family for for a couple of months. That was was what they viewed. You got to basically pay them enough extra money that the staff can go to their families, can go to their spouses and kids and say, you know, I'm going to be away for a little while, but this is going to be worth our while as a family to do this. And that's what they did. And they avoided, they basically rode out the wave in Connecticut while two-thirds of the nursing homes in the state were, um, we were basically subject to cases. They kept it out of the facility very successfully.
0: Well, we're almost out of time, so let me ask a a very general question to both of you to conclude. Um, You know, cases have continued to rise in a number of states. I would say a majority of states right now. It is possible that we're going to be hit with a second wave of COVID-19 here in New York um, in the fall, what do you see in terms of the near and long-term future for nursing homes? Do we have a better sense now of how to go forward? Are there policy movements uh, afoot that, that could uh, make make things a little better uh, if we if we go through this again?
1: One thing I would say, which is also, I think, in a way, an answer to a question which was, you know, what's the ideal policy for nursing homes? Um, is we are are inching our way towards that. There are a couple of things that we should have been doing from the very beginning, which we're doing now, where again, I said this before, we're testing the workers several times a week. Number two, we're actually checking residents several times a day for symptoms, including temperature checks, and we're testing residents. Those things are, these things enable us, first of all, to see who's positive very quickly. You know we also now have a route out of nursing homes. Um, that they, they they have been staff- they, they they've you know geared up with their protective equipment. So beyond all of the ideal kind of solutions, long term, like like better reimbursement and higher levels of um, staffing and and better care, there's stuff that we're doing now that, we, believe it or not, we weren't doing in March. We weren't doing in April, and we weren't even doing in some places in May, including just checking people for symptoms, testing people every day, and 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 and, and nobody, no governor is going to say, you know, to a nursing homes and ever again, at least during this pandemic, you have to take people back before they've tested negative for the, you know, for the, uh, uh, for the virus. So those things alone, I think, are Probably a fairly
2: big leap forward. Well, I completely agree with Steve, actually, on on that. I I think that, firstly, get the basics right, the things on PPE, protective equipment, the testing that we really should have been doing from the outset. Now we're actually a little bit more prepared. Those are going to get done. And then it's just basically the financial issue, uh, making sure that these homes have got the the money. Often, I mean, like, it's, it's not like these aren't bad these are bad people that aren't trying. They're just incredibly stretched for resources. And that kind of comes to the, the financial, the, the final issue and probably the crux of the matter is how much do people care? Uh, do, are we willing to just allow nursing homes to be like a place that you will avoid and a place that you really wanna uh, just kind of allow to fall apart in the way that we have? Or is there gonna be some kind of political mobilization that maybe put these a little bit higher up the, um, uh, up the list of political priorities, um, are we going to start uh, as, to sort of reflect Steve's earlier point, which I thought was the best one, is uh, like we care a lot about schools. Are we going to start caring equally about uh, getting nursing homes right in the future? Uh, this is not, it's not a healthy situation in a year when we get
0: vaccines. Nursing homes are still not going to be uh, completely fine. I wanted to thank uh, Steve Melanga and Chris Pope for your informed commentary today. And I want to thank uh, all of you for for joining us today. Please consider subscribing to the Manhattan Institute's newsletters, making a contribution to our mission. So thanks again to both of you, and thanks everyone for for joining us. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.